Today we're going to talk about permission granted. Now, if you're in the military or if you've watched Star Trek, which is the same thing, um, then you know when someone says permission to enter, the response is, come on, y'all got to watch Star Trek. If someone says permission to come aboard, the response is, permission to beam me up, the response is, permission granted. Okay, so here's my question, and we're going to do some theological teaching today. Do we ever grant Satan permission to attack us in an area of our life in which God pretty much has to sit back and watch it occur? Now, before you answer that, let me ask you another question. Does God ever grant Satan and demons permission to attack or enter the life of a Christian? Now, before you answer that, I want you to remember all the times in the Old Testament where God's people went into, they open the door to Satan, they go into bondage, they cry out to God, God saves them. Then they open the door to Satan, they go into bondage, they cry out to God, and God, remember how many times that happened? Okay, so does this ever happen to us in our life? So what we're going to do today is we're going to study three different stories in the Bible in which, and I love stuff like this, so pretend like you like it too. God and Satan have conversations about attacking a believer. It is so cool. You're going to love it. So here's the main focus today. Remember I told you last week how Satan fell from heaven like lightning and Jesus saw it happen? The number one door, the number one open window in a Christian's life for Satan to attack is pride. That's the number one. In fact, in fact, before we get into our three points, in fact, this is why Satan fell. This is the reason Satan fell. And I'm going to read you the last thing Satan ever thought before he fell from heaven. This is the reason that Lucifer became the devil, was pride. Okay, watch this. This is the conference. This is what this is the last thing Satan didn't even say it. He thought, okay? Isaiah 14, 11, You are now in hell because you said in your heart, here's five I will statements. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. The stars represent angels. He wanted to be in charge of all. I will sit enthroned on the mount. That's the top of the mountain. He always wanted to be at the, very, the, the highest place. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Here's what the last thing Satan thought is, I want to be God. Now, a lot of Christians, you might not say these statements, but here's the statements you may say. I need to take care of me. I need to do what's best for me. I need to make sure that I'm happy. I want to enjoy my life. I want to take care of numero uno. Okay, listen, that is the opposite of the way a Christian should think. Our thoughts should be, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be happy no matter what God has me doing in life. If I'm crucified on a cross upside down like one disciple or if I'm beheaded like another, I want to learn how to be content in those times. Not, I want to be able to sleep around, have the latest iPhone, spend money on whatever I want to spend on, act however I want to because I deserve to be happy. This is the opposite. Now listen, Satan always talked about me. Satan was like, I will, I will, I will. Jesus always points the finger to the Father. He always points to, he always said, I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. He says, if you want to know that, that, that you go to my Father, I don't do anything unless it's at the bidding of my Father. So I want you to see that there are Christians and those of us that battle. This simply opens the door for Satan in our lives in this area of pride, okay? So I have three points for you today. Three points. 
And um, these are points that, that have to do with pride, and you'll see why. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to bring it all together. So it's going to just sound like some teaching, but the end's going to be great, okay? Say it's going to be great. Okay. Say it like Tony the Tiger. It's going to be great. Good job. Okay, good. Here we go. There are old people in here. That's great. I meant great. Okay, so number one, pride is trusting in our own strength. Pride is trusting in our own strength. Pride is when a Christian says, I can parent. God, I don't need you. As long as I read these self-help books on parenting, I can do this. God, I've been preaching for 10 years. I got today. God, um, my business is going to succeed because of my experience and my wisdom and everything I can accomplish in life. Okay, the Bible says we should acknowledge God in everything we do. God's not just interested in when someone has cancer or when someone's dying. God's interested in every part of your day. And when we don't ask God for help, when we don't go to Him and say, I need you, it's a form of pride saying, I can get through this without you. So remember, we're talking about three different stories in the Bible, three different people, three different times God and, or, and Satan, or Jesus and Satan, had a conversation about entering a Christian's life. Ready? Luke 22, 31. This is going to be so good. Jesus said, Simon, remember he changed his name to Peter. Listen, Satan has, big two words, ready? Big two words, asked permission. Now, uh, the Greek language, which is what New Testament was written in, has more vocabulary than we do in English. We say the word asked, but this particular Greek word means to ask with success, or to ask already knowing the answer, or to ask knowing you're going to receive it. So Satan asked, say, Peter, Jesus is saying to Peter, Satan asked permission to sift you like wheat or like grain. And I had to give him permission, and you'll see why in a second. But I prayed for you, Peter, because I always want to make sure that God provides a way out. God will always provide a way out if you rely on God who provides the way out. Peter didn't think he needed to. Uh, but, but Peter, your, that your faith in me doesn't fail. But it's going to fail. And you know the story. He does fail. Once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers in the faith. Okay, so Jesus is just now telling a believer, Satan has the right to enter your life and attack you. Evidently, Satan saw an open window in Peter's life. Evidently, Satan knew. Hey, Jesus... This Christian that I'm asking to mess with him, you have to say yes. You have to, because I saw the open window, okay? What's the open window? It's going to be pride. Watch this. Mark 14, 27, 31. This story is in all four Gospels, and I just like this particular one better. And it's right before Jesus said, Peter, Satan asked to get you, okay? Then Jesus said to them, all of you. Did Jesus say some of you or all? Did Jesus say 11 of you disciples or all 12? All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it's written. In other words, it's already been prophesied. It's in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's already written. I'll strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter, out of all the people in church, Peter said, Jesus, even if every Christian in this room deserts you, I will not do so. And Jesus said, I'm actually going to tell you how you're going to be the one to fall. Jesus said, I assure you tonight, before a rooster crows twice, you will actually deny me three times. But Peter insisted even more. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I would never fall like these other baby worldly Christians. And here, I'm the best one around. He was saying, Jesus, they all may stumble, but not me. This is such pride because Jesus even said it's written in the Bible. And here's what Peter said. The Bible's not true. 
the Bible's not true. I realize that's written there, but that's not for me. Do you know how many Christians I've shown something to in the Bible? Tithing, healing, the words that come out of their mouth, whatever it is, and they think, eh, no, that's not for me. That's, that, that scripture doesn't apply to me. It may apply to everybody else, just not for me. Okay, let's look at some more pride in Peter's life. Matthew 16, 22. Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and be killed and raised on the third day. But Peter took Jesus Christ aside and rebuked Jesus. Now you've got to have a lot of pride and a lot of arrogance to rebuke Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord, this won't happen to you. Now here's the big phrase, watch this. But Jesus turned to Peter. Who did he turn to? A man, Peter, and said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus just addressed Satan in a man. So evidently, Satan got permission. Now, whether your theology is that Satan was behind him, in front of him, on top of him, under him, the left or the right of him, or in him, it doesn't matter. Jesus looked at a man. Now, you know what's funny is his name was Simon, and Jesus changes it to Peter. Now he's calling him Satan. I think Peter's thinking, I like Simon better. I'll take Peter or Simon, just, you know, not Satan. Okay, anyway, a lot of Christians do this, okay? Now, when Jesus was arrested, the night he was arrested, okay, which disciple was arrogant, prideful enough to think he could take a sword and fight a garrison of soldiers all on his own? Peter. Peter, Peter right? Now, when you're battling the demonic, you're deceived a lot of times and don't even know that you've opened the door. That's why you have pastors and leaders and friends that speak the truth into your life, okay? Sometimes you don't know it. Peter does something totally out of character, not even realizing that the enemy's in his life. This same man who was going to fight a hundred soldiers for Jesus, when a teenage girl said, do you know Jesus? He denied Jesus Christ to a little girl. Totally out of character. Totally, and here's why, his pride, he thought, you know what, I don't need to pray, I don't need to ask God for help, I can totally get through this on my own. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let he who thinks he stands, being overconfident, take heed that he does not fall. Mature believers learn to trust in their own strength over time and stop relying on Jesus, okay? It's going to get better, I promise, two and three is going to be better, and the end is going to all come together. Okay, point number two, watch this, pride is trusting in our own righteousness, Pride is trusting in our own righteousness. This is when we think that we are a good Christian because we've done good things. This is once we've served Jesus for 10, 20 years and we think, you know what? I don't smoke like they do. I don't cuss like they do. I don't do that. I don't look at the, I don't watch bad movies like them. Look how I have grown. And we think we've actually done something great. But the Bible says even your best deeds are like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Jesus. So let's look at another conversation between God and Satan considering a person. Job 1, 6 through 12. There was a day when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. This is good angels and the fallen angels, and you'll see why. Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered, From roaming around on the earth. Remember the Bible says in the New Testament, Satan roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay? Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered Job? There's none like him on earth. In fact, Job does a lot of good things. He, he literally, he actually does good things. He's blameless and upright. He fears God, turns away evil. And Satan said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all he does? Destroy it and it'll curse you to your face. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that Job has 
is in your power. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Okay, this is a phenomenal theological scripture. God and Satan just had a conversation. God said, Satan, you can attack him. You can attack my servant Job, the one that does a ton of good things. This is a good man, and you can attack him, and you can destroy this and hurt this and mess this up in his life. Why would God do this? Now, it's difficult if you just stop on that first chapter, but if you read the next 31 chapters, here's what happens, okay? There are these three old dudes, and you can read it. I call them Bob, Dale, and John. Whatever you want to call them is fine. I don't know the names. Anyway, there's three old guys. And so Job keeps saying to these three old guys, I don't know why Satan's attacking me. And the three old dudes say, well, have you gone to church, tithing? I've done that and that. Have you been cussing, drinking? I don't do those bad things. 31 chapters. Have you done this? I did that right. Have you done this? Oh, I have not done wrong things. Over and over, 31 chapters. I've done this and this and this right, this and this and this. I have not done because it's wrong. Over and over. Finally, this young man who's friends with Job named Elihu steps up. And Elihu says, in effect, he says this. Because you three guys are old, I thought you would figure this out. But I'm sick and tired of hearing y'all arguing. I know why Satan came in Job's life. Okay? And that's where we pick it up. Job 32 verse 1. These three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu was angry with Job because he justified himself rather than God. Job 33, 8-9. Elihu says this. I heard these words come out of your mouth, Job. You said, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there's no iniquity in me. The only way a human being could say that and it be the truth is if Jesus Christ himself said those words. Uh, Job 36.3, Elihu said this, For me, righteousness is ascribed to my maker. Okay, here's the point. The open window for Satan to attack was that Job was righteous because of what he did, not because of who he knew or who he was in a relationship with. And a lot of Christians go through life thinking that because they've done good things, they're going to be able to go to heaven. Because they've done all these things right, that Jesus is going to say, you know what, you're so good, I want you to live with me for all of eternity. What they're doing is they're trusting in their own righteousness. When we got saved, everyone in here, when you gave your life to Jesus, you knew the only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You knew it. You knew that you have bad motives in your heart. You knew that you're prideful. You knew that this was you had this addiction. That, and so you knew the only way you'll ever see the gates of heaven is by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But 20 years later, when you're not smoking, 20 years later, when you're teaching in a class at church, 20 years later, when you're a leader, 20 years later, when you've broken these addictions, you begin to think... I don't know if they're saved. I don't know if they're saved, but I know I'm saved. Here's why. Because I've done all these good things in my life. And that is one of the highest forms of pride that there is. And so Job is saying this. Job's saying, compare me to any other Christian. I'm better than this one because I don't do this and this. I'm better than that one because I have done this and this. On and on he goes. He's ascribing righteousness to the way he's lived in his actions. And there's nothing wrong with living right. We should live righteously because unrighteous opens the door to Satan. But you living righteous is not what makes you righteous. And listen, you living unrighteous is not what makes you unrighteous. It's either Jesus is the Lord of your life or he's not. Aside from all works and all doings. 
So Job's compared himself. I'm better than this one, better than that, Christian better than this one. So God shows up finally, and God says, okay, Job, if we're talking about being right, if we're talking about being good, stop comparing yourself to people, because the Bible says no one is good but God. So if you're going to compare yourself to someone that's righteous, why don't you compare yourself to me, Job? And here's where we take it up, Job 38.1. God finally answered Job, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. I have questions for you. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell, listen to God's sarcasm. Tell me, since you know so much, <laughs> who decided on the size of the earth? Certainly you know, Job. Who came up with the blueprints? How was its foundation poured? Verse 12. Have you ever ordered the sun to get up? Verse 17. Do you have one clue regarding the mystery of death? Do you know where light comes from? Of course you know that. You're so smart and good. Verse 32. Can you get Venus? Can you get a planet to look in your direction? Can you tell clouds to shower rain? Do lightning bolts report for orders from you? In Job 40 verse 8, he said, Are you trying to prove you are innocent by telling me that I'm wrong? Are you trying to tell me that you're a good person because even though my word says that no one's good but God, but you think that you're good, are you trying to tell me that my word is wrong? So here's what God's saying is this. Um, there's a math equation. I put it on your handout. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. In other words, Jesus is not Jesus plus you've gone to church for 30 years. It's not Jesus plus you tithe every week. It's not Jesus plus um, you're in Sunday school and you're in book studies. It's not Jesus plus you walking the aisle. It's not Jesus plus you got baptized in water. It's Jesus plus nothing. Nothing else. You can't add. If you add one thing to Jesus to equal salvation, you actually take away from what he did on the cross. You negate the cross. Now let me say the opposite. Jesus minus nothing equals salvation. It's not Jesus minus that time you lied in fifth grade, if we could take that away. It's not Jesus minus that time that you cussed somebody out. If you could just remove that, then you'd be saved. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Jesus minus nothing is salvation. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay, number three is this, okay? Are y'all okay? I know it's a lot of teaching, okay? When y'all don't, when I feel like y'all aren't breathing. I feel like y'all are going to pass out. I really do. I feel like I'm up here talking sometimes, and while I'm talking, my mind's thinking about, I can't believe I'm preaching this sermon. Are they okay? I should have chose something else. What are we doing, God? It's going to get really good, okay? Trust me. This is, this is my favorite subject, so just pretend like you like it too, okay? Number three, here we go. You know, a lot of Christians are very proud that they don't struggle with pride. So if that's you, then... <laughs> if you're here today and you think you don't need to hear a sermon on pride, you need to hear a sermon on pride more than anybody, okay? More than anybody. If you think you don't need to, I don't know if I need to hear this sermon. You're the one we're trying to talk to. Number three, pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Okay? This is the point that I love more than anything else. Okay? Pride is when a Christian thinks they can outsmart God. Pride is when a Christian says, even though your word says I shouldn't sleep with somebody unless I'm married to them, 
there's going to be no consequences for me. Even though your word says we shouldn't look at pornography, that's not going to bother me. Even though it says, you know, when I'm, when, I'm, when, I, when I'm not a tither, I'm robbing from God himself, that doesn't really affect me. Pride is when a Christian thinks that they are wiser than God. Now, let me just say this. If you're in here today and you think that there's something in the Bible in which there's a negative consequence, or a positive, whatever, if you anywhere in your mind think that you can get away with it, that you're, if you think that you're going to be able to do what God says not do, and it's not going to affect your future or your life, then listen real close. Out of the billions and billions and billions of people who have lived on planet Earth, if that's the case for you, you'll be the first one in all human history that can go against what God says and not reap the consequence God says you'll reap. You'll be the only one. And if that's you, then see me, because you'll be famous. I want your autograph if you think you're the one that can go against God. Okay, this is what pride is. So, here's what we're talking about in point three. A man named Ahab. Ahab, and this is such an important story, Ahab started off to be a good king of Israel. Everybody say Israel. You're going to even know that, okay? He started off being a good king of Israel. He ended up being the worst king of Israel who ever lived. Do you know why? It's because he started hanging out or dating or fell in love with someone who was not a Christian. Her name was Jezebel. And a Jezebel spirit can be on a man just as strong as it can on a woman, just so you know, okay? So Ahab thinks, man, Jezebel's hot. You should see her profile picture on Facebook. You know, she's got it going on and all this kind of stuff. And he thought this, I'll get her saved. Once I start dating her, oh yeah, she's going to start loving Jesus after I, after I sleep with her about 12 or 13 times. I'll invite her to church and it's going to be great, okay? So Ahab's got Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was such a, um, a manipulator. She actually was full of demons and, and, and spirits are transferable. That's why you, hang, you should not hang out with the wrong people. And so because Ahab fell in love with Jezebel, her demons got on him. And he was a good king. She had 850 false prophets on her payroll. And remember, Elijah calls down from fire and destroys all of them. And so Ahab, who started off to be a good king, thought, oh, well, if she's doing that, I guess I'll do it too. And so he got 400 prophets on his payroll. What that means is, in the Old Testament, you couldn't hear from God directly. You needed a prophet. And so Ahab had 400 prophets that he fed well and paid well. So anytime someone wanted a prophecy, they'd go to one of these prophets to hear from God. And here's what the prophets would say. Oh, as long as you serve Ahab, everything will go well for you. And Ahab would say, what's God telling me? And they'd say, oh, God is so pleased with you. Everything you do is just, God just wants you to be happy. That's all he wants, Ahab. God just wants you to enjoy your life. So do whatever you want to do to enjoy your life and be happy. And all these false prophecies from God, time and time again, Ahab got. Okay, so that's what we take off. And so Ahab, um, he texts his buddy Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Everybody say Judah. Still kind of a part of Israel, but anyway. So Jehoshaphat's a good king of Judah. Ahab's a bad king of, of Israel. So he texts Jehoshaphat and he says, Jehoshaphat, we have the same enemy, the Syrian army. So why don't we hook up together and fight this enemy together so we'll both be free? Now Ahab's manipulative demon that was inside him thought this. I'm going to make sure Jehoshaphat dies along with the Syrians. So I'll have everything when it's all done, okay? So they meet together for a meeting, and here's where we're going to pick it up. In, uh, let's see, 1 Kings 22.7. Jehoshaphat said, Ahab, I'll go to war with you, but we need to find out if this is what God wants us to do. 
So he says, do you have a prophet that we can ask, you know, um, um, and, and I should have told you this before the scripture. Do you have a prophet we can ask if we should go to war? And all of Ahab's prophets said, go to war. Do whatever Ahab says. Ahab's the best. God loves him. He can do whatever he wants to and he'll prosper. And so Jehoshaphat thought, well, is there a prophet that, that hears from God? Because I don't know if these people really hear from God, okay? So Ahab, y'all still with me, right? You're with me. I can tell that whole story over again if it'll help. Okay, so Jehoshaphat said, is there a prophet that's of the Lord? Because I'm not going to war with you, Ahab, unless we know somebody that can hear from God. And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, well, there's Micaiah, this was a good prophet, by whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me. In other words, Micaiah told him the truth. Micaiah said, if you do this and this against God, it's going to hurt you. If you go against what God's word said, it will affect your life in a horrible way. Why would you want to do it? Because God has a great plan for you. And God's word is the plan. If you do this, you'll succeed. Why would you want to do the opposite? And so because Micaiah um, always prophesied the truth, Ahab put him in jail. Okay? Three years before. So they pull Micaiah out of prison. In verse 16, Ahab said, okay, Micaiah, tell us. Do we go to war or do we hold back? Tell the truth. And Micaiah said this. If you insist, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to like it. I saw Israel scattered on hills as sheep with no shepherd. Remember Jesus said that about Peter. Let these people all go home. Don't go to war. You'll die. God taught. I've been telling you for three years. If you go up against the Syrians, you're going to die. Ahab. This will be the end of your life. In verse 18, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, See, I told you, he never has any good word for me from God. Then Micaiah said, there's more to it, buddy. I actually saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Now watch this. This is going to be very interesting because a demon and, and God have a talk while he's on his throne. I saw the Lord on his throne and all the host of heaven. That's good angels and bad because on his right and on his left. Remember Jesus said, goats on my right, sheep on my left. Verse 20. God said to you, who will, God said to the, uh, on his throne, who will convince Ahab to go to war so he can fall? Then a spirit stood before the throne of God and said, I'll seduce him as a lying, deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And God said to the demon, go and do so and you will prevail. Okay, two things I want you to see. God gave orders to a demon. Number one, here's the second thing I want you to see. God's in full control. Don't you ever think the devil's in control. God knows exactly what he's doing. And if God has to, he loves you enough. He'll go to such lengths, even sin and use the devil to attack you, to bring you back to him if that's what it takes. If you're that steeped in pride. Verse 29. So Ahab and Jehoshaphat go to war. Now watch this. Okay, this is so amazing. So Ahab thinks, even though God said I'm going to die... I can get away with it. Even though God said, don't do this, I can still do it, and it's going to be well with me. In fact, I know they're going to try to kill the king. So Ahab thought, I'm going to dress up like a soldier so nobody recognizes me as king, but I'm going to make sure that Jehoshaphat, he's dressed up like a king. So he says this, I will disguise myself, but you should wear my royal clothing. Because I'm on your side, Jehoshaphat. I, really, I want people to know you're the king. And the Syrian commanded their captains, don't fight any soldiers. Only try to kill Ahab. Okay, watch this. So, 
Not only does Ahab dress up like a soldier, not only does Ahab put Jehoshaphat in his royal garments, but even the bad guy said, don't fight a soldier, don't worry about a soldier, only fight Ahab, okay? In other words, he's done everything in his wisdom possible to get away with it, to not let it affect him, okay? Amazing. Verse 34. In the middle of the battle, there's this guy just holding a bow and arrow, not even trying to shoot, not even trying to kill anybody because he's not even supposed to kill a soldier. He's just playing around, sitting there thinking, well, we can't find Ahab, what do we do? And he just takes a boat at random. And out of every square inch of these acres and acres and acres of tens of thousands of soldiers, this one bow just happens to go in the air and strikes Ahab in the square inch part of his armor where his skin showing, where there's no armor. And he dies. It, it, listen. He thought he could outsmart God. He thought that he could hear exactly what God wants and do the opposite. And he actually thought, I'm going to overcome and I'm going to get ahead. And it's going to be well with me in my life. He's trusted in his own wisdom. James 3.14 says this. If you have selfish motives, in other words, if you think, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what's best for me. It's all about number one. You're in defiance of the truth. And the Bible says that thought life is not even from God. It's actually a demon talking to you. It's actually demonic happening in your life and you don't even know it. Nobody can correct you. You're smarter than everybody else. Even if the Bible itself says it. And I know that y'all think that I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating. I talk to some of y'all. I know the way some of y'all think. I've showed people in the scripture. The Bible says this. And that won't happen to me. You know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And then later on I'll ask forgiveness and it'll be okay. If, if that's your thinking, you might not even be saved. There was this, this, this captain of a ship, and he looked into the night, and he saw these faint lights way off in the distance. So he told his signalman, he said, I need you to send a message that says, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, the message was returned. It said to him, alter your course 10 degrees north. This guy thought, who do they think they are? Did they know? how powerful and smart I am. You send them a message and say, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm the captain. To which a message came back a few seconds later. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a retired sailor. Retired sailor? <laughs> what? what is he talking? You, I want to invoke as much fear as possible into this man. You tell him, alter his course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. To which the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Jesus is your lighthouse. And if you think you're going to get him to alter his word for you, even 10 degrees, you have lost your stinking mind. He's not telling you to alter your course to hurt you. He's telling you to alter your course because he knows it's going to destroy your life. Amen. I mean, this, what I'm, listen, this sermon could be the last call for some of y'all. I don't know what's going to happen to you this week. You better alter your course. Do you know the only attitude in the entire... I love holding this. It just makes me feel so much more spiritual. Do you, know the, um, do you know the only attitude in the entire Bible 
where God Almighty says, don't hang out with them, don't talk to them, avoid them, don't get near them, is what we're talking about today. Proverbs 9, 6. Jesus also said it about casting pearl before swine, and Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, don't even eat with them. Proverbs 6, 18. Uh, Proverbs 9, 6. Don't waste your time on prideful people. Or here's the result. Listen. You'll suffer. You'll su they won't change their course because they're full of pride. So not only will they not change, you're going to get hurt. It will actually cause you pain. That's amazing to me. So here's the question for today. Why would God grant a demon permission to attack a Christian? Here's the answer. Because God loves you. Now, I'm going to ask another question that's going to give the answer to both, okay? Why would a parent ever spank a little child? How horrible is that person? I can't believe they're going to spank their child. Don't they love their child? That child came out of their womb as their baby, and they're going to spank the child? Oh, my goodness. Why would a parent ever spank it? A godly parent never spanks a child to punish the child. A godly parent always spanks a child to get them to alter their course. Amen. They never do it to punish. If you spank your child to punish it, what's that going to do? The whole goal of a spanking is for your child to realize what I did is going to cause me more and more pain. If I keep going in that direction, I need to alter my course 10 degrees north. That's the whole reason, we get, that's the whole reason there's a spanking. See, God knows. God knows. That if you don't alter your course, you will destroy your life. And I'll prove it. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. In God's grace, he will do everything possible, including send the enemy to put you in bondage so that you cry out to him and he sets you free. If someone you love was standing in the street and they were blind and they could not see, there was a blind spot in their life and they just could not see. And a bus was coming and a bus was going to hit that person that you love. Would you just stand back and pray for them or would you run and push them out the way? Now, if you push them out the way, they're going to break a bone. If you push them out the way, they're going to get scratches. They may bleed a little bit. What do you want to do? Leave them standing there and get hit by the bus or move them out the way and let them break a bone or two, but save their life. You save their life. That's the whole point of this final, final way that God tries to reach us. So here's what I'm saying. I'm closing. Peter and Job were both attacked by Satan and they, and they got permission. They repented. Peter became the greatest preacher in the greatest pastor in the whole Bible, in my opinion. Job got restored twice as much as he had before. Ahab didn't repent. God gave him Micaiah. God gave him chance after chance. God, did, God even showed him his word, everything he could, and Ahab thought he could get away with it. Samson was the strongest man in the whole Bible. Right? He fell. Remember, pride's trusting your own strength. David was the goodest, for lack of a you know, better word, he was the goodest. He was the most righteous acting man in the entire Bible. He fell when he was at his top, at his prime. Solomon was the wisest man in the whole Bible. And he fell as a king. Could it be? That pride is the open door trap for Christians who are strong, good, and wise. But if we will alter our course, the lighthouse will save our life. Amen. Amen. Amen.